Hello, I'm your host, Ben Downing, and welcome to the Meaningful Media Podcast. Thanks for joining us. We hope this episode provides plenty of food for thought as we continue to navigate the fast-evolving world of media and explore the media that matters. Now, on with the show. Nicholas, thanks for coming on the podcast. So, Nicholas runs Plimpft. He's a Web3 expert and someone who can guide brands through the world of NFTs. So he's kindly agreed to spend some time with us today and we're going we're gonna to jump into uh, picking his brains and him sharing his insight. But Nicholas, first, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into the space? What's your history? I've been in the kind of creative digital space for a long time. Uh, so when I say a long time, I'm saying since uh, 95, when I started, when I sort of co-founded a... a creative agency called Anti-Rom, and then I've been doing agency stuff ever since until three years ago Mm. when I I left uh, Poke that I co-founded in 2001. Um, So, yeah, I've had a long long ride in digital. But, yeah, even though I've I've kind of retired from agency life, I'm still, my head's still in it, and and thus the kind of Web3 stuff. So I've always been, you know, in one way or other at the the sort of cutting edge or the unfolding edge of, you know, digital culture, Let's start with a definition. What is Web3? The definitions I like the most are the ones that are really simple, that help me get my head around it. And the, the, the best, most useful one I've heard about Web3 is Web1 is read, Web2 is read and write, and Web3 is read, write, and own. Um, so obviously there aren't hard lines between these things. Um, so there are web two-ish things in web three and web three-ish you know notions and concepts in web two but i think on that basis it's just it just helps you understand what what the you know what this kind of foundational difference is with web three things which is the idea that you can participate in things in a new way through a kind of ownership so web one is the the kind of static web the world of AOL, the world of homepages. Web two is APIs arrive, it's read write, and you, you get applications like Facebook yep. built on top of them that, that kind of change the way that we interact with with the web. And then Web three is this new this new paradigm. Is it is it a new architecture? I mean, that's such a good good definition that you've given us. But what's the best way of thinking about it as a as a user, um, but also as, as marketeers? Well, so to take your Facebook um, reference. You know, Facebook, you are, the, you know, the consumer is the product, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you interact and you create lots of value for Facebook. But essentially, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you extract the kind of value of the experience. Um, but you, you know, the, 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 the value is really held by shareholders, essentially. In Web3, the, the kind of, you know, if there were to be a social media network in Web3, then everybody would be an, a co-owner, essentially. Mm-hmm. They, they, would all, they would all participate both in creating the value for the network, but there'd also be you know, co-owners and it would be decentralised, it wouldn't have shareholders. And obviously in being co-owned by the community, it would probably be structured in a very different way. It would be directed in a very different way. So the experience is going to change for consumers, which is, is why it's so interesting to talk to you about this this new concept of media experience we might be having. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's why it's a little bit hard to get your head around at the moment, because it's the, the big change is this sort of foundational change but it hasn't played out yet so we can talk about what social media might be in 10 years but we haven't really seen it yet we haven't really seen momentum building around any particular models yet 
what we what we've seen so far are the are the, the, the you know these foundational elements. So what's interesting is I've kind of committed the the classic sin of, of seeing the future through the sort of lens of the past. Uh, I've reached for a social network, um, which was a you know those products of sort of Web two. But let's talk about those you know those kind of foundational things that you're seeing uh, and also kind of use cases for for, for Web three and what is an NFT. <laughs> So NFT stands for non-fungible token, and that really means that it can't be replaced or exchanged for something else. Once it's been established, once it's been minted, then that is the single record of that item, um, and and thus the non-fungibleness of it. Uh, and it's a token. So it, obviously, we think about these things as kind of images or or, or you know JPEGs. Um, but essentially, it's a token, which is a which is a file with a set of rules attached. You can mint them. You can create them lots in lots of different ways. Some of them can be in in the thousands or the millions, even. But yeah, the the point is that the, the once once they've been minted, they can't they can't be kind of changed and and you know they are immutable to use the language. So, is that a product of the fact that this Web three architecture? it's kind of an append-only database, right? Like, you can put stuff on it, but you then can't change it? Yeah, I mean, all the chains operate on the same principle, which is that you, you, you'll leave, you, know, you leave a record, you, you establish a record of yeah. that transaction and the record of ownership, and that, that stays until, it, you know, until it's exchanged again. And the, the, the all you know, previous records are all recorded. So it's like a huge kind of database and ledger, and it's it's shared across the network. So you know, once a once a record is established, it, it you know it can't be overwritten and persists. So yeah, I mean, an NFT could be cha- exchanged, 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 but you can you can follow its path, yep. follow the path of that transaction. You can follow the history, and because it's on the ledger for you know for, for sort of all all the systems to see. It can't be tricked mm-hmm. um, because that 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 record can only live in one place. So the the ledger, this this kind of decentralized database, and sorry, I'm understanding it through the through the lens of uh, and the semantics of Web two, I guess. Mm. That's decentralized. Back to what you were talking about, it's not in the control of an an individual or centralized government or authority. Yeah, so it depends. I mean, obviously, you can you can have centralized chains. So it's not decentralization isn't a kind of inevitable. Um, outcome of blockchain technology, mm-hmm. but you know the chains that we we would use and that are, that are kind of associated with NFTs are decentralized or, or decentralized to a degree. So they they are not they're not controlled by an individual mm-hmm. body or institution. So that so that there isn't you know there isn't a corporation that you can call who can you know who can shut it down or um, you know start messing about with the ledger. So you're kind of talking us through some of the the underlying tech uh, or, or the architecture the you used a word minting so that's the process of creating an nft can you talk us through what minting means so minting is essentially creating the record so that when you you know when you create in the process of creating an nft is committing that asset to the blockchain right you know through a set of rules and, and protocols which means that you know, where you take your image and you say, right, I'm going to mint 10 of them, you, you know, you, you go through that process. Um, they all obviously get minted onto the chain. They then sit in items that then persist. And then obviously in current, in, you know, subsequent transactions, they, it's those items that are then transacted. But the minting is the kind of committing to the chain in the first place. That's the process of getting a JPEG and turning it into an NFT. 
or indeed a, a, a pass to something. A, a, yeah, exactly. Because yeah, you, yeah. you talked about token, and I think you're going to unpack some of this as we yeah. discuss, but a token can be many things and, and many experiences, right? You know, we've all heard mainly about the NFTs as being a way of, of kind of creating, you know, either individual or limited run, um, you know, visual assets as collectibles. And because we've seen collectability in, in the physical world, we've, we've kind of come to think of NFTs or a lot of people have come to think of NFTs as, as, as that, as this sort of finite amount of assets, make them collectible so that, you know, make them limited so that they have value. They're not like infinitely replicable digital assets. So they, they're, they, you know, there's a fixed amount, which means they can have kind of um, value. But then we miss this whole other part of the, the, um, the equation, which is that can perform a whole bunch of, bunch of different functions as a token. So what a token can give you is, for instance, voting rights. So if you issue 10 tokens, you can give each of those tokens voting rights on a decision about what your company is going to do or which celebrity you're going to hire for something or, you know, whatever it might be. So it, and, and, and it could also be a key to something. So you can, with, if you have that NFT in your wallet, you can access a page that other people can't access or you can access a feature of an application that other people can't access or you can enter a club that other people can't access with that with that token so if you look at the, the fuller functional set of the nft then you can get a feeling for why brands will be interested in uh, something to wave around and say i bought this thing stick it on my twitter profile yeah i think we've all we've all become slightly uh, bored apes um uh, if i can say that uh, around some of the some of the more confusing perhaps enthusiasms in the space and that's why it feels like such a good time to be having this conversation because i noted that uh, the end of august uh beginning of september we're some way from that now but at that point uh, transaction volumes on OpenSea, OpenSea is one of the kind of largest marketplaces for nfts had declined by 99 percent. right so it's it's tempting to kind of look at that and say hang on the the air seems to be coming out of this bubble but what you've just talked us through is that nfts as a as a as a token there's so much more utility so much more use cases than ultimately some some pictures mm. right so i was so keen to talk to an expert at this moment because with some of the some of the uh, i guess speculative fever coming out of the space this feels like actually an even more important time for brands and marketeers to be thinking about it because we can think about it a little bit more clearly some of the sort of noise disappears from the from the signal so to to help us with that and now you've kind of talked us through the fundamental architecture and how some of this works uh, as well as how an nft has utility as a token can we unpack some of what you're seeing and how nfts can be leveraged by brands i think because it's early it's early days Probably the best examples aren't completely resolved, complete things. They're like the beginnings of something. And I think things like Adidas, uh, you know, Poap is just one example. Which, you know, everybody's talking about the metaverse. Uh, Adidas are excited about it, partly because everybody seems to be excited about it, because they obviously they have, a, a, you know, such a central role in, in fashion and visual culture. Of course they're going to be there, um, but nobody really knows what it's going to become, and they don't have a, a roadmap for exactly what it's going to look like. So rather than just sort of... <laughs> say, right, we're not doing something, or rather than going out and saying, this is what it looks like, which I think a lot of brands have done to their detriment, probably, because actually, it, it, you know, it's, it, there doesn't seem to be lots of compelling answers to that, as far as I can see. They've just simply said, we're going to go on a journey, we're going to experiment, and, um, 
you know we invite you to participate and here's a you know take take a take a part which is a which is a proof of attendance uh, kind of token it's like an nft mm-hmm. that you usually hand out in kind of physical events but they they just issued one one day to say here's the start of a journey people could grab those and and then that's really a record of the relationship that they have with with this brand and and the significance that they you know they put on this this moment when this brand is kind of is, is starting this journey it felt like a pretty meaningful way to use a token as a way to kind of form a relationship or to start a relationship so the we were talking about the the read write own thing earlier in a very simple way that's just a way for someone to show that they were there at the start they were paying attention and you know one day that token might be worth something or that token mm. if nothing else might be evidence so they can wave around in front of somebody else and say look i was there at the time i, mm. I was paying attention and i thought this is important and you know whether that's just about bragging rights or whether that actually turns into into real value or whether the brand starts to give them certain privileges or certain access to certain things and that that become gives them kind of kudos and status to a certain extent it doesn't really matter which of those you know, what those things become because i think that's why i like the strategy is you know, they don't know what it's going to be but they understand the underlying feature of these tokens means that they can decide later because essentially they're just keys and once somebody has that they can be found on the you know via the network and they can be mobilized they can be activated which i think is is really interesting and that that relationship so it's not like having an email address like just subscribing to something because you 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 have a you have you kind of have a stake in this project albeit in a notional way you know it's unclear what the value of that will be but i think that's really you know that's really interesting given the times we're in i think it's a really smart strategy to, to both to do something but also not to like pretend it's more significant than it is and, and or, or to be too deterministic about what you think the value is going to be because actually you kind of don't know. It sounds like there's a there's an evolving use case or there's there's experimentation in the loyalty space here, right? Like is that is, is that a possibility? Yeah, 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 totally. I think anything start getting when you start sort of thinking through or you know imagining how, how these things might make people feel. There is some degree of co-ownership albeit maybe notional but it could be real a a brand could create something that is truly owned by the you know the participants and if they issued a bunch of nfts they could say right this thing is now co-owned wholly we build something together then you will all be beneficiaries Um, and if something profit is generated or if if it's just cultural kudos is is generated then you'll all be you'll be participants in the rewards yeah so we'll unpack that in a little bit more depth but it's kind of interesting because I think what we're seeing in the way that brands are approaching this, there are some brands where there is utility or future utility where it makes absolute sense and there needs to be not only that proof of concept but uh, appearance in the space, right? I'm thinking sort of fashion brands um, and brands that, you know, with a, with a brand identity that are minting an NFT as a future way of, and we'll talk about this, as a future way of proving ownership in the metaverse, right? As sort of we transition please do write in with your opinions on this as we potentially transition to uh, you know, metaverse world or a, a world where the metaverse exists in, in parallel in terms of economic value. Mm. Um, possibly um, uh, uh, fallacious, but uh, looking at someone who's apparently bought a $200,000 um, metaverse house on, on Twitter this morning. Um, yeah, that's obviously extreme, but we are seeing that there's, there's going to potentially be utility for, for Web3 there, right? Proving ownership. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, probably a good example is a game was 
led the studio that, that created Monument Valley, and they are working on a game called Blast Royale, which yeah. was supposed to be free to play. Yeah, pivoted very very elegantly into a play to own, which means that they during gameplay, as you would know from Roblox at et al, you earn things, you mm. earn kind of uh, features or cars or houses or you know Robux or whatever it is. So you're earning sort of uh, you know assets within within the game that have value, and they. Within the game, they have exchange, you know they have kind of exchangeable value, and there is a real economy in there. But obviously, you can't you can't ex- you know, take elements out of that game and, and kind of take them into other games and things like that. So there's a, there's a it's a it's all works within a closed closed world. But um, Blast Royale is recognizing that and allowing gamers to build earn their assets, but those assets have real value and can and they're facilitating the exchange of those assets on chain. Um, but it's it's I think it's a very it's a very interesting notion because obviously in brand world we're we're used to creating kind of cultural currency a social currency but never really kind of consummating that in real value but it demands a completely different way of operating so in the games world it's a massive challenge because obviously one of the ways that games you know, hold uh, the loyalty and attention of their gamers is by is by having a closed world it's by disincentivizing them mm. you know earning something in one game and transporting it to the other Whilst at the same time, if you're new to the game space as a studio and you have nothing to lose, then actually it's probably more in your interest to, to, to participate in a community where you can share because that's in your interests. Mm. It's, it's, it's actually better for you to you know, bring gamers from other games into your game and make it easy and in, for them to do so. So you can sort of see the same is true of, of brands as well, where there might be an opportunity to you know, kind of participate in these what will become these kind of systems where one set of tokens could potentially unlock all sorts of things. Mm. You could, for sake of argument, you know, if, if one brand created a token for their campaign, you might choose to, as a competing brand, offer them a feature with using their token. And obviously, for the consumer, it potentially just changes the nature or could change the nature of the relationship with brands. So where, where it's less, this sort of less consume, 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 it, you potentially become a participant, not just through your ownership, but expressed through governance like you making decisions i mean in that scenario where a brand you know, might choose to create a new entity or a new project that, that really is co-owned with consumers maybe those consumers are all directing that thing and choosing what direction you know choosing what what happens in that in that, in that project um, is, is that similar to a, a dao yeah exactly i mean a DAO, the dao's comes from the potential of tokens to 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 manage governance so dao is a i think it's de- decentralized autonomous organization I think we might have yes so that yeah so the again it's the idea very much in keeping with the whole decentralized theme it's the ability to create uh, an organization uh, which is a sort of you know an architecture of kind of incentives and governance which means that people can buy a token in a you acquire a token in a in a DAO and then participate in what you know what it does how it does it can can contribute and also share in the rewards and you can have different token type. What's actually being recorded on the ledger is a mm. smart contract, which is a, is a set of rules that govern a whole bunch of things around that uh, asset. So, well, let's talk about that, right? The, these are kind of quite complex topics. Uh, and there's an element of, you know, going back to sort of Web 1 and Web 2.0 of, there's an element of, oh, we must have a website mm-hmm. or we must have a social media page or I actually remember we must start our own social network. Yeah. It, the what you're describing is a is a way of kind of understanding and thinking about the technology and the applications to to stop us kind of saying, well, we must have a website because we need to ask, well, why? What are we doing with the website? 
Yeah. Uh, equally, like, what are we doing with with our presence on a social network? And the brands that sort of understood that kind of not only won in this space, some of them became entirely new businesses or were able to evolve new businesses. There is potentially huge impact um, here, and we'll get into some some of the watch outs in a moment. But um, what's your what's your guide for brands? What's your guide for marketers listening to this in terms of how do they build organizations or, or how do they kind of find people who are interested in this space who can think deeply about these use cases and, and develop them? Well, I think, I mean... Other than hire you, of course. <laughs> that's right. um, I mean, I think most organizations have, you know, have a bu- bunch of people who, whose head is already in this stuff because it's not, it, it's sort of niche, but it's sort of not that niche either. There's quite a lot of people who've been you know, trading crypto and have followed the followed the, the story from crypto or from gaming, who've ended up with an interest in this area. Bringing those groups together or, or, or doing something kind of in, in, informal rather than just calling up the, the pros and the specialists because even the specialists have only really been, you know, around for a couple of years. So they're not necessarily going to give you that much more than just people who are already in the organisation understand you know what the organization is about the culture and the what the ambitions are but with a with a, a grasp of these these concepts it feels like that's that's a pretty good place to start because i think having seen you know having seen these these sort of hype cycles over and over and over again for the last you know 25 years i've obviously had the privilege of seeing many of those things it's always every single new thing that happens it's so easy to to sort of just look at what else is happening and ape it, um, and uh, and kind of miss the sort of miss the point. Sort of social, you, you, we've saw it a thousand times, which is, you know, everybody ends up going like, how do you do good social? And everybody ends up just sort of emulating the patterns of social and, and not really exploiting the potential of it, which is which is about, you know, what do we, what, you know, what what's interesting, what's an interesting proposition for our consumers that's going to build something, build some like. You know, useful equity for for us as a brand, mm. and how do we use social to enable that? So it's a bit the same. Where it's like, I think if you focus on the thing too much itself, you end up just thinking, oh well, let's just make an NFT collection and try and hustle it and get people to talk about it and yeah. get excited about it. I, and I've been to. I, I mean, I'm sure you've been in the same situation. Like we've been to a lot of industry events where you kind of say industry events that are not Web three or or crypto. And we should separate Web three and crypto, by the way, which is why we've been conscious to talk about Web three in this podcast. But where it's sort of like, hey, um, scan this QR code to download an NFT, and it's kind of like, why? Yeah. If it's proof of attendance and you're doing something with it, that's interesting. If not, uh, it really does feel that. The only reason to do that, which, you know what, isn't a bad reason, is to get people interested in the space and understand some of the mechanics. So that leads me to a question about mechanics again Mm. and risk. You need something called a wallet. You need to sign for things. So just talk us through how organizations can think about that and kind of maybe how to, if you're listening to this, how to get started and kind of understand some of of the mechanics in the space. Yeah, so... First of all, I'd say don't you know if you're going to get st- if you're doing your first thing, don't make it mission critical yeah. and 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 just give yourself a bit of space to to you know to play an experiment. I think if you are as an organisation getting serious about it, you just need you need to take the some of the tools and processes seriously. The whole system is designed so that the normal uh, um, kind of organisations that would take responsibility for things aren't in the mix there is no phone number you can call when things go wrong that's that's kind of the point it's very uh 
it's very disorientating because we're so used to that idea that that's you know that's a, an organization who provides a service we we buy that service and then if that service goes wrong we can complain about it and it'll get resolved and so if you they can't, don't you can't kind of phone your enterprise account manager and say listen reverse this transaction yeah, you can't phone anybody you can't email them you can't jump on support and you can't sue them if it goes wrong because it's not there isn't someone <laughs> if that's sort of the point uh, anything or when you're you know when you're issuing tokens uh, you need to be very organized and mm. your organization needs to be needs to approach it in a secure manner so that you don't have one individual who holds all the keys or is you know, is running the wallet and has complete free reign and one day they leave the organization and you no longer have control over your over these these uh, you know these tokens and everything that they're doing then you really need to make sure that, that you know, your your um, your kind of processes and and tools and procedures are buttoned down so that you can manage and you really don't want <laughs> to be in a position where suddenly you realize that you're no longer in control of all your um, all your tokens there we go uh, be be conscious of the risk think about some of those those tips nicholas has given us um and uh, understand that there's the, there's uh, expertise within your organization you can probably tap already the final thing i'll turn to on risk is um climate so the good news is post merge for ethereum we have seen some some positive work here but uh crypto mining um again sorry crypto web3 but a lot of web3 is powered by by tokens and these 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 tokens are uh, am i using the right word tokens there instead of crypto if i wanted mm. if i wanted to sort of yeah. talk about yeah yeah so i guess i could say tokens as distinct from an nft but the the tokens um sort of on the on the the, the power of these ledgers um have been historically mined using a kind of computer. It's a cryptographic thing which requires computational power. So effectively, you um, you solve a cryptography puzzle, uh, or your computer does, and you unlock a, a token which gives you authority on the chain. So historically, this has been extremely power intensive. Brands are obviously <laughs> uh, leading change in terms of climate. What's your advisory on that? And can you speak to a little bit of the progress in the space? Yeah, sure. So if you're a, if you're a brand that cares about your reputation, which is most brands, then you you know whilst you might be kind of seduced by the idea of of participating in this kind of um, you know the hype uh, around M- NFTs, you're probably also very reluctant to get involved with something that's v- kind of famously sucking enormous amounts of uh, energy out of the system at a time when we really shouldn't be doing that for both climate reasons and and obviously kind of cost of living etc it just seems a kind of grotesque contradiction so the good news i'm sure some of you probably heard about it or read about it but uh, something that happened with ethereum a few weeks ago is called the merge that was a very long kind of winded project to change Ethereum from something called proof of work to proof of stake. So you were talking about the mining thing. The energy consumption moves from what's equivalent to running a, a the average US household for a week. So you know, so if you buy an NFT on if you bought an NFT on, on Ethereum, it's like using you know tens of kilowatts of, of uh, energy in in, uh, in um, uh, settling that transaction to the equivalent of boiling a kettle. I've spoken you know to a few people in big organizations where reputation has been the the reason why they've not participated and and the kind of i think the utility of of web3 as it is at the moment right which is kind of like 
we know that we have issues with data centers from web two. So, you know, having a, a significantly more of a problem on, on emissions for, yeah. for, the, for, the, for its potential future was, um, you know, it's kind of a non-starter. One of the things that I think we're particularly interested about uh, in terms of media experience is the intersection between Web3 and the creator economy. Your company, Plimpt, um, you, you're actually working on a creator-driven NFT community and you, you actually executed a really nice use case um, recently for this idea of tokenism and, and decentralization, didn't you? So can you talk us through some of the opportunities we may see in the creator economy here and, and that, that use case you, um, you worked on recently? Yeah, so well, the, the, the Plymouth project we were working on, it was, it was almost like a, it's just a way to learn, really. Mm. We, had a, we had an interesting opportunity where we could offer the tool screen in Times Square, and um, we, you know, offered the opportunity to grab it for, you know, 15 minutes. And we thought what would be really interesting is to, is to kind of bring in lots of different collections and just use it as a way to, um, to kind of celebrate what was happening in the, in the space and the creator space um the way that it works with nfts is or the what most of the way that it's worked with nfts are that you you have what they usually call projects so it's not they're not just collections though mm. it's a project that's trying to achieve something and they're issuing nfts as a way of you know f kind of fundraising or, or but well partly raising funds but also you know establishing communities but obviously board apes well, the, the, the the big uh, you know the one we've all heard about you know, their project is about creating this whole kind of um, new cultural phenomenon. And the, the NFTs are a kind of both both a, a way to raise funds to build that mm. new thing um, and their membership and co-ownership of that. So there are lots of different projects around. And, um, you know, we, we wanted to bring those projects in, showcase them, um, and and also kind of bring them into the physical world. So some people, they are... they. Uh, it's everything, you know, it's the only thing I see every day when they, mm. you know, between waking up and going back to sleep. For a lot of other people, they're completely invisible. So, you know, we thought it, was a, it would be an interesting thing to try and, you know, bring something that, that's to, to a large part of the populace kind of invisible and put it on the most iconic screen in, in mm. the world where, you know, brands obviously pay, you know, pay dearly to, uh, to have that presence there because, of the, because it kind of gives them a, a sense of being in mm. the, really the, like the most iconic city in the you know the most iconic place in the, in the city I, i'm interested in this idea of um fractionalized advertising model as well because I, I quite like i quite i mean this is a we could do another episode on this and maybe we will but um this idea of kind of in web to uh you know if you're not paying for it you are the product and we've had lots and lots of conversations about giving people control over their data so this this seemed like a, a really nice moment where you were kind of uh, you were kind of giving people the option to bid for attention. We had loads and loads of different projects and tons of NF, uh, you know, NFTs to show. So, we, but we were we were thinking, well, you know, when you look at how um, advertisers use those big screens, what you're buying is the sort of cultural significance of being there. You know, when people when yep. people do visit, or when you know when when you catch it in the back of a news uh, item or something. Just being there is important for brands because it kind of it secures you as as you know as this being being kind of at the pinnacle of culture because you're in that place you're in the the, the most you know iconic advertising space that, that, that there is. So we figured that actually for collections, if we if we're going to 
you know, charge people for, for, for appearing in Times Square. They don't need to be there for 10 minutes. They could be there for two seconds or a second. Mm. And actually, the most important thing is that they were there and that we create a record that they were there. So the way that we did that was we, we you know, we, we fractionalized it down, that we sold it by the second, essentially. And um, collections could, you know, or, or NFTs, individual NFTs might, might appear for a, a, a second. But we would capture that and then mint a record of them appearing for a second so that they, as part of the kind of service of working with us, they would, they would be displayed, albeit kind of momentarily, but they would have a record that would, you know, would be validated by us, minted as an NFT. So, you know, it kind of, they got another NFT out of the, out of the process. And that was a guarantee that that, that that thing happened. And you were using a, a pretty green chain for this as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So... I, I mean, thanks so much for the, the, the discussion today. It's, uh, you know, it's been in-depth and, and the guidance is great. Um, how can people find you? How can people get in touch? They can contact us through the site, p- p- plinft, P-L-I-N-F-T dot X-Y-Z. Um, I am, you can find me at 9G, 9Gs dot X-Y-Z. That's nine Gs in a row. We'll, we'll pop all those in the in the show notes, yeah. and we'll we'll finish, of course, as we always do, with uh, your your fast five, your meaningful media fast five. Uh, not all of them can be NFT collections, use cases, or proof points. Okay, what is your meaningful media right now? Podcasts, podcasts, excellent choice. Any particular podcast? Mm, well, Pivot, obviously, um, but yeah, a bit of a mix. Bankless. Quite yeah, useful nice. for this this nice. subject area. Yeah. I quite like crypto critic, critics corner as well. Yes, yes. Um, so, what's the media that you start your day with? Uh, that would be the Guardian app. Oh, of course. Sorry, linear news. Uh, linear news. Is that the thing? Yeah, I've coined a new phrase, but yeah, news. Um, what media do you turn to when you're looking to get inspired? Mm, I'd, well, LinkedIn, I think probably. Unpack that. Uh, I've just done a pretty good job, fo- like following good people. So it's I get this, I've got a good good kind of media diet through carefully honed. You'll you'll have to give me some tips uh, after this episode because yeah. I'm I'm struggling with the, the platform <laughs> versus Twitter for that at the moment. But I, I do I do see it on there. Yeah. Um, what's your media guilty pleasure? Mm, well, probably TikTok, but I don't do it because I, it just makes me feel a bit horrible. Um, interesting. So, what is it? The just endless scroll? Or? I think it's just I don't, I don't want what I want. It just makes me feel a bit uneasy when it, there's no discovery involved. I kind of discovering something yeah, yeah. is part of the or, or working a little bit harder is sort yeah. of part of the process. So, if, I think if I just sort of stumble into it, it makes me feel uh, a bit icky. Yeah, interesting. Okay, you've got one media platform for the rest of your life. Which one is it, and why? Oh, I'm afraid it's LinkedIn. I know it's really boring. I'm intrigued by this. Um, I just think it's the best. I mean, again, I think it's probably uh, we all you know, like with all these things. You, I get a very different experience to other people. I think I've, I'm just lucky to have spent quite a long time kind of honing it so that I get good stuff. I mean, what I like about LinkedIn is I, you know, get quite a varied diet because I, you know, connected with lots of different people from lots of different quarters, mm-hmm. and obviously because they are doxed, then they. They're generally good citizens, but then equally, it's some of the some of the stuff you find on Twitter is a bit more kind of zeitgeisty, perhaps. Yeah, I just don't like I don't like spending that much time in it. So I think Twitter's probably better, but you then you just have to commit much more to it. And I'm not prepared to make that commitment. I don't like spending. I've d- I've done my sort of time 
you know, sitting on the sofa at night, you know, doing four hours of just skimming, yeah. skimming stuff to Main, figure ma- out what's going on. Maintaining your lists, muting people, like, <laughs> yeah. like yeah, okay. Well, uh, and that was fascinating. Really interested with um, with LinkedIn. Though. No, I don't, am I, is that controversial? Is that, I don't think it's controversial. It feels uncool to me somehow. I, you know what, uncool is is cool. <laughs> Nicholas, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Thanks. That's a great place to finish. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for on today's episode. A big thanks to my fantastic guest for joining me. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. We'd love to hear from you and your thoughts on all things meaningful media, the media that matters. Drop us a mail at podcast at habasmg.com. That's podcast at habasmg.com. Please do subscribe, like, and share the Meaningful Media podcast on your preferred platform so you don't miss any of our episodes. You can follow us on our socials, all addresses in the show notes. Once again, thanks. Join me, Ben Downing, soon for more perspectives on Meaningful Media.